If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Manifestation is getting 1% better every day. And better could mean understanding yourself more. It could be granting yourself grace. It could be Go lay in bed and drink a bottle of wine for a day and don't judge yourself for it. Just do it if you have to do it, get it done with, and then move forward. But instead we're like, oh, this is what this means. And we place all these false perceptions, which keep us in the state of not thinking that we can create. Welcome to series 11 of the Not Perfect podcast, a show that's here to share conversations with world leading thinkers to help us grow, stretch our minds, thrive and heal from within. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie a best-selling author of Happy Not Perfect and entrepreneur. I've spent the last decade exploring how we can live better, support our mental health better, expand our consciousness and feel full even when things feel turbulent. I hope you enjoy the show. Today on the podcast, I have the international best-selling author and teacher Mandy Morris. Her first book, Love, It's How I Manifest was a global success. And since then, she's been featured all around the world, teaching millions how to create the life they want and shift out of limiting patterns. Mandy's science and love-based methods for creating instant and lasting change has been researched, studied, and taught by therapists and coaches in the Netherlands, Sweden, Ireland, UK, and the US. Mandy began her career counseling, studying psychology, and also working in Norway, researching how psychosomatic health issues are created by thought, not environmental factors, and how individuals' brain patterns can change through her communicative therapy methodology. She has just released her latest book, Eight Secrets to Powerful Manifesting, How to Create the Reality of Your Dreams, and it's bursting with guidance for how you can take all aspects of your life to the place that you want. This book in many ways could have been called energetic health in a way, because it really gets detailed into the science behind your energy and frequency first and foremost. It focuses on the tiny actions we can all do to help us co-create the lives that make us feel really excited. Manifesting has become a bit of a buzzword, and I've definitely had months finding some of the conversation around it a bit fluffy, sometimes disingenuous, and oftentimes quite self-indulgent. But Mandy's approach I found different. It pleasantly surprised me. It's not full of wellness cliches, but instead I found a lot of new education within the pages. And the work is a reflection of Mandy and the many years she has spent working with her clients. I'm so looking forward to diving into Mandy's secrets and process to living her most joyful, full of love and authentic life. What is the favorite quote you return to often and why? So this is going to sound funny because we're talking about manifestation, but, and I'm going to butcher it. I don't know who said it, but I say it all the time and it's 99% of people will make a decision and then spend all of their energy afterwards panicking and questioning and wondering if it was the right decision. 
And 1% of people will make a decision and spend all of their energy after proving that it was in fact the right decision. Such a great quote. Why is that quote important to you? I think sometimes, and for myself, you're talking about being indecisive. That was me to a T. I was like, I'm always going to make the wrong decision. Was it really the right one? And I didn't realize that where my consciousness was going was ensuring that I was looking at all the wrong things and making sure that things didn't work out for me. And I didn't trust mm-hmm. myself and you know all that stuff. And so it was really that quote kind of holds my journey in essence when I was like, I am done worrying about if it's the right decision because what does that even mean? And when I pulled apart the perception of what was right and what was wrong for me, I found that it wasn't that. It was my reactions to everything that was stimulating responses from me. And when I started shifting that, I was like, it doesn't even matter what I do. I'm divinely guided, but I'm tired of just sitting in this space of confusion. So let me just move and see what happens. And magic happened. And when you move fast enough, it doesn't allow for the subconscious to catch up quite as fast and say, no, don't do Mm. it. Or is this going to be okay? Instead, it was Mm. full speed ahead and you're in the flow of things. I feel like more divinely guided too, which is been a lifesaver for me. What's a life lesson you've been reminded of and why? This is another one similar in the sense. And my mom used to say it all the time and it would drive me insane because I didn't understand it. I don't think she understood what she was saying, but she would always say, Mandy, everything in life is a choice. Everything. And I hated that because I had so much trauma growing up and then I chose dysfunction and you know I had so many things seemingly happen to me that I, was, I couldn't take responsibility for everything that was happening in my life or how it looked. It was much easier to be a victim. And not that she knew that she was really coming at my victimhood, but that's the way that I interpreted it. And now that I see everything in life as a choice, once we self-master or we get into the process, not that we ever really get there, but when we start you know, getting into that space of mastery, everything is a choice. And when you remember that with a state of empowerment, without judging yourself and loving yourself through it, man, magic happens. Love that. Great advice from mom. And how do you define the soul? So where I'm at today and what I perceive the soul to be is like the most authentic version of us. There is the human story, which is riddled with all of the things, the thoughts, the mind, the pain, whatever it is. But there's a soul story as well. And that has no bounds. It knows the truth of our abilities on this planet in this particular plane of existence. It knows the truth whatever the truth may be, which can vary depending on our level of consciousness. And that's okay too. But it's this very complete and whole and centered version of us that's not riddled with trauma and false perceptions. It's just like the limitlessness, but also that like full centeredness, the knowingness, that energy. I call it the is. It just, everything just is. It's not this, it's not that. It is this and it is that. And it's everything in between. And it's so expansive and beautiful. So I'm going to skip ahead on that note to talk about the authentic self because that is so key to your work. And it made me think when I was reading about it in the book, how do we even begin to, I guess, tap into our authentic self? And that feels a really odd question. Of course, how would we not know what our authentic self is? But as you say, you know, we're so conditioned. We've been taught from such a young age about the life we should leave or maybe what we should like. And so it can be quite difficult to peel off those layers and get to truth and get to connection with soul. So what is your thoughts on that? And how do you do it? I had no idea who I was. And I think that, I mean, at this point, the way that society, the world, cultural, you know, you name it, it is so hard for us to maintain a sense of identity when we come to this planet trying to figure out who we are, which is fine. 
But then we get lost along the way because everyone's telling us to be something different. So we never find who we're supposed to be this go around, if you will. And so it's similar to what I think about manifestation. I'm like, one, we're manifesting all the time. So we're creating who we are all the time. But I like to talk about what I call counter manifesting. And it's what are we doing in opposition? So similar to finding our authentic self, it's stripping away what isn't us. And then we're left with all that is or whatever we want to be. And I think sometimes people get a little stuck on, well, I've got to be this type of person forever now. There's a sense of finality to it. And I'm like, no, we're expanding just like the universe. So you might find after you stripped all of that away, you're like, okay, this, this is me now. And then the subconscious comes back in and says, now we have to only be this. But no, we're supposed to continue to expand. We're expanding just like the universe. And so although we have this core essence of what we are after we've stripped that away, our authentic self, now it goes like this. And it expands outwardly and it meets new parts and versions and experiences that become more of the fullness of what we are. So in essence, I guess we could say, authentic self is kind of like the universe. It's source. It's the oneness of it. And we never arrive, if you will. I really appreciated that line at the, towards the end of your book, this idea that previously, I think manifestation has been kind of presented as you arrive at a place that you've wanted to be in and suddenly you've done it, you've manifested and you kind of say, no, no, no. Manifestation is not finalizing your life. Yeah. Manifestation is, to me, the way that I perceive it is it's a constant energetic interaction and communication system we're having with our environment. And so I'm like, Mm -hmm. I always say to like my coaches or practitioners, I'm like, if you're not growing, you are dying. Mm -hmm. There's no point that we stop growing and expanding into the vastness of what we are and and what we're not also as we move towards what people, I guess, call enlightenment. But I just call it having a good old time. Don't forget, it's a human experience. experience is the operative word. It is an experience. So allow for yourself to feel the juiciness of it instead of think that it has to look this certain way. But there's no end result when it comes to manifestation. It is a constant process that we're always doing. So instead, it's like, how do I get myself into a vibration or a mental state, if you will, that I am always bringing in all these beautiful things and I can give it out to the world as well so that I'm doing my part as an integral piece of existence instead of, oh, I got the Lamborghini. Great congratulations. Then what? Then it doesn't even give you the emotion that you wanted. The 3D things don't bring you the experience you wanted anyhow because it was coming from societal programming anyway. No, we're after an emotional experience as humans. We are so emotional. And I think a lot of people, when I look at people who aren't manifesting, you know, quote unquote, creating the life they want, is that they're being ran by their emotions instead of utilizing emotions as a unit of consciousness to direct their reality. Okay, let's double down on that point because this really brings me to your pattern interrupts, this idea of two types of people, people who are being run by their emotions and people who can harness them. How does that work? How do we switch from person one to person two? And what are triggers and pattern interrupts? Yes. So I kind of imagine it actually as three tiers of emotions, if we're going with emotions. And I remember in my early 20s, one of my um, dear friend's fathers had written this book. It's a really neat book, um, but it's very out there. It's talking about like magnetic propulsion and you know all these crazy things, uh, but it's totally my science brain. And so as I was reading it, one of the things that was said in there um, was that emotions are one of the first units of consciousness. And I never forgot that. And I was like, I don't know what that means. At the time, I was like, it just stuck with me. And then, of course, as I continued my studies, I was like, oh, emotions are literally the driving factor to our manifestations, to our reality. 
So imagine it, imagine like three tiers, right? So on the very bottom tier, on that first tier is emotions run us. That's where most of humanity lives. You get triggered and you are immediately feeling an emotion. You're flooded with it. You could be angered. You know, usually we're talking about triggers, although there are positive ones. I'm talking about negative ones or ones we don't really want. They're denser vibrationally. Mm -hmm. So it's bringing up Mm -hmm. shame or guilt, hopelessness, frustration, anger, you know, you name it. And so that's where we kind of all sit. That's where I sat most of my life. I didn't know that I could truly, people would say, you can control your emotions. I'm like, great. Who, why isn't anyone teaching us how to do it? Because I don't know how. I, I, if I'm mm-hmm. triggered, I think that that's the most automatic and natural response. But it's not. It's just that my neurological pathways in my brain have begun to wire and fire as such. So it became the default reaction. And it's one that is dense vibrationally. So it's not helping me manifest what I want. And if you leak simplistically, we could say it's creating a tunnel vision. So now I'm seeing everything through the lenses of anger or hopelessness or, you know, whatever it Mm -hmm. is. So it's not allowing for me to access all the other information that is outside of that tunnel. But on the second tier above emotions run us is curiosity. I call it pure possibility because if someone tells me when I'm feeling hopeless, just be positive. I'd be like, F Mm -hmm. you, how? I I can't get there. That's so (laughs) vibrationally far away. I don't know. I don't know how to access that right now. So instead, I always say, let's just get to a state of curiosity. I wonder why I feel this way. What Mm. am I telling myself? And so when people get triggered, and that's that state, that jump, instead of them going, I'm just going to flood myself with the neurohormones that aren't, you know, helping me, and then vibrationally impact my reality. Instead, I'm stopping, I'm interrupting that so that the flow of energy changes. And if we can't go straight to positivity or love or enlightenment, which totally makes sense, let's just go, I'm curious. I call it the five steps back method. Let me take five steps back and go, what is really happening here? Or what else could this mean that I'm not normally telling myself it could mean, right? Is it here to actually serve me? What lesson can I use from this? Is this actually something that's showing up in process to my manifestation to serve me? So in some way, neutrality. And over time, once you jump to that space, you'll find yourself moving to the top tier, which is like a quote unquote master manifester. And that's where we use emotions to manifest what we want. We bring those high vibrational experiences into and pour it into the 3D so that all things that we experience have that sense of that fulfillment or happiness or joy or, you know, whatever it is. And life is made beautifully manifest from there. So the triggers and managing those, what we're looking for is what are all of the things that currently energetically throw me off? If I look at something I'm triggered in, I'm in resonance with it. So I have to assume responsibility that for some reason it hit me. When I used to get bills in the mail, oh my gosh, I was like, because <gasps> we were homeless and I was born. I was like, oh, we're going down. We're going down, buddy. And I could have so much money in the make bank, but it was such a trigger. And then when I realized all of a sudden, I'm like, I am so not triggered by money. Well, then my life stopped being ran by it. And scarcity stopped showing up in those ways as well because I desensitized and interrupted that emotional response over time to where it simply didn't exist. So the idea is whenever you're getting triggered, which is anything that throws you off of your most natural, wonderful state of being, you got to get curious and say, what is this? And if it's such a flood of energy that you're like, I am so angry or I can't control it or I'm shaking or, you know, it's just one of those really strong ones, then we want to do a pattern interrupt. And a pattern interrupt is something that allows for us, and hopefully if it's working right, it's happening on a neurological level as well. We're not allowing that same flow of electricity, or we can call it that same flow of energy. We're not allowing ourselves to go all the way down to the basement or you know, hit rock bottom on our emotional experience. And instead, we're stopping it before that takes that full plunge. Oh my gosh, the things that happen when you can interrupt it 
how empowered you realize you truly are and how much you are actually in control of your reality because you're in control of yourself, regardless of the external, that does amazing things for manifestation. How can people get curious? What are some of the tips that you suggest when you're checking in with why you're feeling the way you do? So this thing is the first secret in the book. It's called creating energetic check-ins. And it's something I did to myself. And I drove myself crazy when I first did it because I was like, I am always in a bad emotional state. I don't like how I feel most of the time. But when I stopped judging it or placing more meaning than needed, I would do the five steps back method. So I would literally put it up on a whiteboard. So I say it now as a joke, but I would literally put it up on a whiteboard of, I just checked in with my energy. And for some reason I'm feeling anxious. And so I'd write anxious in the middle. And I'd be like, okay, well, what thoughts am I having right now? And I would write down all the thoughts, almost like a web diagram. Everything was kind of connected. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, okay, and what am I telling myself about that? So what happened? But what meaning did I place? And that's really the magic. When I look at this little space in between, when someone gets triggered, there's something that happened prior. They don't think so. They think it's just you know a one and done. But there's a little space before the trigger, and it is what you told yourself about it what meaning you placed upon whatever stimuli was showing up. So if your boss comes in and yells at you, you could be neutral. I mean, I might be a little hard, right? But you could also be angry. You could be shameful. You could be sad. You could be happy because you're going to go quit your job. It could be a million different emotions. So when I sat there and I'd think about that, I'd be like, I could choose a vast array of emotions. So why did I choose this one? Why did I choose, right? Going back to my mom's lesson, it was a choice. It was a very unconscious choice. But let me bring that to my conscious mind and say, why would I choose that? And what we usually find is we're choosing it out of protection, out of some false sense of an idea that this is certain for me. Or if I feel this way or this is how I normally feel this way, then I will be safe again. Or I will have some type of certainty or I'll be able to shut down emotionally or I won't, you know, risk conflict, you know. And again, Where does all those safety mechanisms come from? It's okay to need to feel safe. The need in and of itself is beautiful and necessary as a human, but we're meeting the need inappropriately by our reaction or what we're doing with it. You write in the book how when you were able to nourish your energy, that was really when you were able to unlock this unlimited potential. In what ways can people look after your energy? What are your top tips for raising that vibration? And why is energy and manifesting, why does it go so hand in hand? So in what I have seen and what the the way that I perceive energy, I'm not talking about it new agey. I think that's fine. I know that that's gotten a bad rap, but that's not what I mean. I'm talking about how energy actually interacts with energy and how that conversation system truly works and happens. And so when I was working clinically on the psychosomatic illnesses, we had these different devices where we could read different emotions and brain patterns and all this stuff. But what I had learned there um, that I didn't know to the fullest extent until then was Anger has a very specific frequency signature. It's the same. Or love or, you know, all this different stuff. In some ways, as long as the person is perceiving it correctly, it actually has kind of a signature to it. So when I started looking at how do I raise my vibration, first and foremost, kind of going backwards to the energetic check-ins, I need to see what drags it down. We can't just move forward. I love the idea of that. And I don't think we have to go back into our traumas. I always say, you don't have to go back into the trauma. And unfortunately, a lot of my work is a lot of trauma. Well, fortunately and unfortunately, people don't think that. They're like, Mandy probably does yoga and teaches manifestation and talks about vibrations and it's really easy. And I'm like, no, we're doing deep, 
deep healing work. We're talking about the most heinous traumas. I mean, I'm working with veterans and you know all this stuff because that's the stuff that keeps our vibration low, or we can call it, you know, in a, a weird mental state, whatever. There's a million verbiages. We're all saying the same thing. It's kind of like religion sometimes. Mm. But those denser vibratory levels or those denser emotions that we're experiencing, we have to understand why, and then we elevate them. So I call them personas. And so we have these personas and they're unhealed parts of us, but they mm. have a need. And so in that process of saying, why am I in a low vibration? Why am I triggered? What we find is that there's usually a very specific part of us that is kind of formulated over the years, has mm. specific behavioral patterns. And when we understand what the need of that persona is, then we ask ourselves, oh, the need is to feel safe or the need is to feel love and connection. But maybe someone is using um, sex incorrectly for love and connection, or they're using um, alcohol to feel safe or whatever it could be. The need is okay but we need to meet that need in a more elevated way. And that, that just naturally raises your vibration. Of course, you can go outside, you know, uh, walk around, go to the beach, sing, dance. You know, those are wonderful and those are great pattern interrupts. Mm -hmm. But on the mm -hmm. daily, it's doing that deeper work of what are the hooks that currently drag my vibration down on the daily. And that's normally a need that's going unmet chronically that needs to be healed. This brings me on to auras and I really enjoyed this part of the book because you marry so well the science, the things we kind of know, these words that we use, but we're not even too sure what they mean. So what is an aura? So I guess in essence, if I were to say, what is the auric field in one sentence, it is a compilation of everything that is energetically happening within our physical body, but also attached to our emotional, mental and energetic bodies. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. And it makes up this kind of dominant frequency of what it is that we are experiencing, what we're giving outwardly, um, how we interpret and filter information and energy. And it usually it depends on the person. It sits about 18-ish inches off of the body. Everybody has it, which is why when you get close to someone, you can feel, you know, their energy. When they speak, the energy goes even further, but it's this, you know, enmeshment, if you will, but it's your full dominant frequency surrounding you. Anecdotally, there's been times when I've tried to think my way out of something I've been struggling with. And then I have gone to an energy healer for example and just felt like a completely different person afterwards and I'm like it was an energetic cleaning I needed more than anything else how do we keep our energy clean how do we look after this thing that's outside of the body so the way I see it is 
when something is, let's just say, from the proverbial universe wanting to get your attention or a beautiful divine lesson is coming through or there's an energy, whatever it is, it sits in your energetic body first. That's when nothing has made been made manifest yet, but it could be you know good or bad or different, but it hit our energetic field and we can do something with it. That's also where mm-hmm. a lot of our traumas or things that we can't access mentally anymore sits also in our energetic bodies, which is why energy healings can work so well and it doesn't make sense. I call it a cellular shift. It's going down on a cellular level because everything is energy. And then you go, okay, now let me reverse engineer this process so that I can stay there, if you will. So the best ways to keep your energy clear and clean is it doesn't matter what you do, but if your intention behind it is to clear your energy or to have a higher vibration. I could sit there and make breakfast for my kids and be like, I hate making breakfast for my kids. I could mm. be working out. I should be sitting you know, outside and looking at the mountains. Or I could say, I'm here to nourish them. And I love that I, I can you know, provide them with organic foods. The same mm. action, but my intention is so much higher vibrationally. And so whatever it is that someone does, whether it's that they take a salt bath or they go for a walk or they get an energy clearing, what's the intention behind it? And I say that the intention, especially when it comes to energy, should come from something that is higher than neutral. So in the sense of, you know, it's coming from love, it's coming from joy, um, I'm going to, you know, move towards fulfillment or something like that instead of uh, obligation, shame, guilt, you know, you name all those, those lower vibrational things. So it's intentional energy behind all that you do. I love that. I love that kind of, I get to do this rather than I have to do this. Yes. Can you explain the power of expectations and why this is so key to manifesting the science behind actually how atoms change depending on what we expect of them, which totally blew my mind. Yes. So expectation, and just for the listeners, make sure that you understand the definition or what definition you have of expectation, right? Because sometimes Mm -hmm. expectation can become heavy because expectation includes timelines, and how it has to look in every moment. I call it the ABCs of manifesting. So I loved this bit. <laughs> good, good. So it's like, I want to create you know, XYZ, world peace, uh, happiness, my purpose work, or a Lamborghini. I don't care, whatever it is. There's no, no shame or guilt here, but let's just say someone wants to create something. Automatically, whether we like it or not, we can't help it. We try to figure out the process and the steps to it. And so um, if we're using expectation incorrectly, we go, I'm thinking I need to go from A, B, C, D, all the way through the alphabet, and then I'll get to Z, and then I'll have this thing. But when you're using the energy of expectation appropriately, which is, it's here, I feel the vibration in which what I want exists now, and I know, and I surrender and detach from when it shows up, or all of the little nuances in between, what you're doing is allowing for the, you know, we'll say the universe, but you know, atoms, particles, the way that you are interacting with the energy around you, allowing for it to go from A to P to Z. So those quantum leaps. So the energy of expectation, the idea of it, um, if it's done high vibrationally, allows for you to literally bend time because you're communicating with energy differently. And this then brings me to some of the challenges I've had with this word manifestation and maybe some of the cultural myths that have gone along with this conversation. And more so, I found the book The Secret really kind of, I don't know, I I can't get on board with it. Firstly, and I think this just kind of speaks to your point about getting the definition of expectation in a healthier way, because the power of manifestation work often 
gives a lot of responsibility to the self because it's like you can change your life and then if your life doesn't change that can turn into self-blame mm-hmm. and then people start going well I must be useless then because I've been told that I can manifest everything and I'm clearly doing it wrong and then I get worried for people that they're going to think they're a failure because they are being told that it's super easy but then life doesn't unfold as they want it to what are your thoughts on that? So manifestation is not easy. That was, I remember when the book first came out and some of my very dear friends who never promote and don't like manifestation. And they're like, I only like it the way Mandy talks about it. And it was such a great compliment because they said, you're not sitting here selling a pipe dream. You're telling people they need to do the work. And that was so important for me. Like, yes, absolutely. Manifestation and manifesting is super easy now. But no one sees the you know years and years of me learning, messing up, trying to understand it, reverse engineering when it worked, and then you know creating this hopefully you know simplistic process for others. And regardless of it, they still have to do the work. And so I think there's just a missing piece to that because it is true in a sense that yes, everyone has the ability to manifest. Now I always say the highest good of all. So if someone comes to me like Mandy, I want to be a millionaire. Help me manifest to become a millionaire. I'm like. I don't operate that way. I adhere to the highest good of all, which takes all of existence into account, but it will also bring you the emotional frequency that you are looking for, not just or only the 3D thing. I think that's where manifestation really went wrong is that everybody said, you can manifest a car, you can manifest a home, Mm. you can, all these things outside of us. And what, unfortunately, Mm. I don't think this was anyone's intention in talking about manifestation when it first came out, but it was this idea of give your power away to everything outside of you because then you'll be fulfilled, right? Which is what we were doing as a society anyways. But now it made it sound like you don't have to do anything except for think right to, to, to get there. And although that, that that's not untrue, there were so many missing pieces to it. And so whenever I look at that, I'm like, oh, it frustrates me so much. But I know that you know we all have to wake up in our own timing and so forth. But it's absolutely crucial to do the work. But we have to detach from the idea of how it has to look in every moment, mm-hmm. the idea that it has to be perfect and every moment, like what rules do we have around growing into it? So if I sat there and said, well, I, I need to be a millionaire tomorrow. Well, there's all of a sudden all of the things that need to show up that do not belong in that vibration of where that thing exists will then come through. But I think the problem is that sometimes we look at those things that are hurdles and we're like, oh no, everything's going in the opposite direction. I messed it up again. I'll never be able to manifest what I want. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's actually showing up because you are getting towards, you're moving towards. It's not always a jump, although it becomes that way as we do the work and you know we're not holding ourselves in density. But I've got to also elevate and take these steps and remove the blocks that show up as I move towards the manifestation. And I think that that's just like, it's a simple tweak in understanding that manifestation is getting 1% better every day. And better could mean understanding yourself more. It could be granting Mm. yourself grace. It could be go lay in bed and drink a bottle of wine for a day and don't judge yourself for it. Just do it if you Mm. have to do it, get it done with, and then move forward, right? But instead we're like, oh, this is what this means. And we place all these false perceptions, which keep us in the state of not thinking that we can create. I really love that point you just made about this idea of moving away from putting all our fulfillment and love for self in the external, this thing that we have to kind of accumulate in order to feel a certain way. And this really goes back to how brilliant this book is in suggesting a total different way forward. And one of the points in the book is seeking self-love. And again, self-love 
can sometimes feel such a lofty idea, but how do you make self-love far more practical in engaging in it? So I had noticed this, gosh, I think this was when I was working clinically. That's the first time I can remember it. And I remember this psychiatric nurse was shadowing me and she's like, how are you creating these results? Like it, you can do what the machine does, but you do it like three seconds before, you know. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I just, maybe it's a gift or something. And I, I sat there for a bit and we were talking and I was like, I think, I was like, I know this sounds kind of silly in the therapeutic world, but I was like, it's love. These people mm. that are in front of me, I see them as so totally whole and I see them as the, as the greatest version of them and I treat them as such and I love them as like an extension of me, soul to soul. And this is why I decided not to, uh, I dropped out of my PhD. I was like, I'm not going to be a licensed um, therapist. I will train them and I train lots of amazing therapists, but I don't want the red tape of not being able to tell someone I love them and I care about them and hug them when they cry and hold them. That is a crucial part to healing and to understanding who someone is and to be in that space of non-judgment from another or from oneself that allows for you to get into that state of neutrality, that curiosity, that understanding of self to say, I like myself enough. I love myself enough. I accept myself enough to do the work, to dive into the nooks and crannies of my life and, and, you know, clear out the cobwebs, whatever that is. And so I was like, gosh, if we write a a chapter about self-love, I wonder if some people are going to hate it. Because I always say, this is my tagline, in case no one's told you today, I love you. And some people are like, it makes me cry every time. And I, you know, I needed to hear it. And some people are like, you can't just throw around that word. That's, you know, all that stuff. And I'm like, I'm not. I totally understand if it feels that way. But when we experience the true frequency of love, which is both externally and intrinsically, it's the same thing, really. I call it self-love, but it's the same thing. It's you knowing and remembering what you are to the truest essence and what that feels like. And when you love yourself, the world is your oyster. When you love others, the world is your oyster. I didn't love myself enough to go through the work, the healing that I did. I loved the world enough first, but I see the world as myself too. So it's an exchange of energy, if you will. And this brings me to talking about the manifestation hour, because finding the time to do this work can sometimes be really difficult because, you know, everyone's got incredibly busy jobs. What is the manifestation hour and why is that powerful? It is basically the hour in which you're waking up and it's a hypnopompic state basically. And so it's this state and I just kind of fallen upon this. I had known that there were um, various like geniuses and amazing artists and just, you know, incredible people who were definitely pulling from like somewhere out there. You know, they call it the collective mind. Even Einstein talked about it. He's like, I don't know where I get my formulas. Sometimes it's not coming from within me, but it's sent to me. And I call that channeling. And I know that that sounds a little woo woo, but I've done it my whole life. So I, I know what it is. But I look at this state where before the subconscious like fully comes in and goes, you know, and then throws the day off or you start panicking about everything you have to do for the day or, you know, just the chaoticness of thought. What I look for and what I've noticed in this was whether I I was in this, you know, golden hour, as I would say, um, or not, was that when I was in a really high vibration and I set an intention, even if I would dip throughout that experience, it still came through because it was such a pure high vibration that it just, it moved so quickly. And so I've noticed that when you first wake up, that state where you're like, I'm not thinking about anything really, I'm like drifting in and out of sleep. That is such a magical time 
to reprogram yourself or to set a manifestation into motion. Because again, I feel like the way it's working is the mind hasn't fully woken up, which is normally what drags you down and and throws your energy off. So you're able to kind of stamp in, set it and forget it manifestation, just stamp in something that you want to create or something that you want to feel or, you know, whatever that is. And then you just let it go and go on with your day. And the weirdest signs will show up and the craziest of things happen usually throughout that day to move you towards that because it was almost not saying this like factually, but it's almost like it got put into a different part of your brain. I love this idea of signs because um, you're saying in the book that, you know, even when you stub your toe, rather than focusing, you know, on the pain, you think, huh, what is happening around me? Because it must be a message from source. How can we look out for signs more? And are there any other kind of weird signs you've had that other people may just look past, but actually do contain quite a lot of wisdom? So many, yes. I'll I'll give you a story where a couple were embedded in there. So years ago, my husband and I lived in Dallas. We weren't married yet, mind you, but uh, we were dating and we were living in Dallas and we really wanted to move to Laguna Beach. And we had various reasons which had to do with my uh, my bonus son that we couldn't do that, um, you know, moving out of the state, custody, all this, you know, stuff. And so it was just kind of this pipe dream. And I was like, well, I would never, you know, want to leave him because he lived with us full time. And so I was like, I just don't know if we'd be able to take him across, you know, and then move him into California. All these logical reasons as to why you can't do something. And so we were sitting in Laguna Beach. We had taken a vacation there and we were at one of our favorite resorts. And um, we were we were sitting there and the craziest of things were happening. There was all of these um, people making tons of noise. And we were like, this is not a normal experience at this resort. This is a really nice place. What the heck is going on? So we're like, is Laguna kicking us out? What the heck? So it caused him and I to have a tiff. And so I was like, I'm going to go walk for a little bit alone. And you need to walk for a little bit alone. And we'll meet up in a little (laughs) bit because we shouldn't be together right now. And so I'm walking and I'm thinking about this story. And it's from this guy. I'm probably going to mispronounce his name, but his name is Mushi. M-O-O-S-H-I. Yes, yes, yes. I know who he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jamaican um, spiritualist. Did you hear when he told this story about the twig? No, no, no. Okay. Well, I won't tell the whole story because it'll, it'll take a little bit too long. But the essence of the story is what is the one thing that bothers you? You could be so chill, so enlightened, but what's the twig? What's the one twig that you have? I'm thinking about that. And I'm like, I feel like I have 10,000 twigs right now because I was so frustrated. You know, I didn't like my certainty, my persona that needs certainty. Things aren't working out the way they're supposed to. This is a vacation, blah, 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 you know, all this. And I'm walking and then I look to the left. I bet it's still there on that old um, building in Laguna Beach. And it said twig. And I'm like, oh, okay. So then all of a sudden this energy floods and I'm like, Wow. An obvious sign. I love that I get the obvious ones. So I call my husband. I'm like, Oliver, let's go, let's go walk together. I'm sorry, I'm calmer now. I think there's something beautiful coming through. So that was my first sign. I realized that this was not here to sabotage us, right? It's actually here to ensure that we get what we want. So he comes and we're walking, and he's again, energy healer, very um, intuitive. He's like, I had this vision that we went and saw like a psychic, and we never really saw psychics or anything. We get our information, you know, kind of direct. And he's like, I think we're supposed to go see one. I'm not kidding. We look to the right about 40 seconds after, and there's a big sign that says psychic. And I, and we hadn't wow. been to Laguna enough to remember these things. And I was like, oh, let's go. And so it wasn't that particular building. We walked a little bit longer, and we found this intuitive reader who now is one of our dearest friends. And anyhow, we sit down. Craziest of things happen. She talks about – I mean, she's just – she's an amazing reader. We didn't tell her a darn thing. 
And uh, we moved to Laguna Beach two weeks later because we were in that really high vibration. We were seeing all of these crazy signs that were assisting us in the process, and we just kept paying attention. So I think once you see one sign, the idea is to roll off of it, be like, what does it mean? What could it mean? And you amplify that high vibration because it feels so good when you're like, it's a sign. I'm divinely guided. What does it mean? And then it's like this fun experience, which is the, the whole point, right? Manifestation should be fun. And then you're kind of going down this beautiful you know, path. And uh, we moved to Laguna Beach two weeks later. Oh, I love that story. Mandy, thank you so much for writing such a wonderful piece. And thank you so much for being on the show to explain and break down and and really redefine to me what manifestation is away from the cliches that people may have been introduced to. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. And where is the best place to find you, ask questions? I know you have workshops and courses. So what's the next thing coming up? How do people get involved? Um, so we actually opened up a new membership program. It's one of the greatest ways because I can't do one-on-one work unless, you know, just here and there I, I'm able. Um, and my coaches and my therapists are taking over a lot of our events because we're just the expansion beautifully. So is happening um, so rapidly. And so right now it's called the authentic living soul family. And it is the coolest experience. It's like a, a gym for your soul or a spa for your soul. Um, so that's really what my husband and I both, um, under our umbrella of the company called Authentic Living, um, where my work sits. That's what we're really focusing on outside of um, continuing to certify practitioners in my therapy methodology. Okay, amazing. And we will put a link to that in the show notes for people to check out further. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Not Perfect Podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would deeply appreciate it if you wouldn't mind subscribing and leaving a review and perhaps maybe sending it to a friend who also might enjoy this episode. I can't tell you how grateful I am for those that share this podcast on their social media or with friends because it helps the show reach more listeners. I'd absolutely love to hear from you. So if you've had any thoughts or you want a specific guest coming up in future episodes just let me know shoot me a message on instagram or twitter it's just at poppy jamie and so until next time stay flexible stay true to you and stay leaning into love want flexibility Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 